0: Welcome to our weekly recording of the service here at Bigger and Blackmount churches. I'm Mike Fucella. I'm the minister here, and we are so glad that you could join us. It's my prayer that you will be blessed by the message this week. If you'd like to find out more about us, please do get in touch. Contact me at biggerkirk09 at gmail.com. That's biggerkirk09 all lowercase at gmail.com so here's the message this week and welcome once again to worship here in bigger kirk it's beginning to look a lot like christmas <laughs> we were in here yesterday afternoon putting up the tree and the lights and uh, various other things we've changed the pulpit fall for advent Um, thank you to all those who have helped with the decorating it does help to brighten our spirits if you're new with us can I say a special welcome and if you would like to find out more about our church family in bigger and black mount please don't hesitate to get in touch with me If you're watching online, you will find my contact details in the description of the video. It is the first Sunday in Advent, and to begin our worship, we here in the church listen to an Advent hymn that is one of my favorites. If you're at home, please feel free to sing for all of us. Let's stand. O come, O come, Can I remind you once again <clears throat> that our music is recorded by our own people. Even that trumpet was Cameron Sutherland playing. Uh, they do a wonderful job and I, I thank them very much. One of our great traditions in the church surrounding Advent is this wreath here that uh, Margaret Brotherstone has kindly put together for us. And and usually we would have someone come and light the candle, but because we have to keep socially distanced, I will be lighting the candle this year. But uh, on Wednesday night when we met in session, the elders thought it was a, would be a great idea to light the candle on behalf of, of people who Aren't able to come to church anymore, but who are still very much part of our church family. And today I would like to light the first Advent candle, the candle of hope, on behalf of Marjorie Gibson. Can we have Marjorie's photo up there? Just to remind you who Marjorie is, that smiling face that's always an encouragement to me when, I, when I'm able to see her or when I talk to her on the phone. And I know others also talk to Marjorie on the phone quite often. Um, she is an encourager. I spoke with Marjorie last night, and I asked her what she hopes for this Christmas— because of the candle of hope and marjorie said to me that she hopes that with all of us that this virus would be eradicated she is hoping for better health for herself and for others who are under the weather at the moment and she's hoping for peace and happiness for everyone this christmas so thank you marjorie for your hopes for us and i light the candle On your behalf, I know that she'll be watching later on YouTube. Marjorie's become quite adept at the technology, the candle of hope. I'd like you to watch a video about the word hope in the Bible now.
1: So let's say you want to describe the feeling of anticipating a future that's better than the present. You might be giddy or excited or maybe unsure, but most of us know that experience. We call it hope. It's a state of anticipation, and it's crucial for healthy human existence. And it's a really important concept in the Bible. In fact, there are many words for hope in the ancient languages of the Bible, and they're all fascinating. In the Old Testament, there are two main Hebrew words translated as hope. The first is yachal, which means simply to wait for. Like in the story of Noah and the ark, as the flood waters recede, Noah had to yachal for weeks. The other Hebrew word is kavah, which also means to wait. It's related to the Hebrew word kav, which means cord, when you pull a kav tight, you produce a state of tension until there's release. That's kavah, the feeling of tension and expectation while you wait for something to happen. The prophet Isaiah depicts God as a farmer who plants vines and kavahs for good grapes. Or the prophet Micah talks about farmers who both kavah and yachal for morning dew to give moisture to the land. So in biblical Hebrew, hope is about waiting or expectation. But waiting for what? In the period of Israel's prophets, as the nation was sinking into self-destruction, Isaiah said, at this moment, the Lord's hiding his face from Israel, so I will kavah for him. The only hope Isaiah had in those dark days was the hope for God himself. You find this same notion of hope all over the book of Psalms, where these words appear over 40 times. In almost every case, what people are waiting for is God. Like in Psalm 130, the poet cries out from a pit of despair, I kavah for the Lord, let Israel yachal for the Lord, because he's loyal and will redeem Israel from its sins. Biblical hope is based on a person, which makes it different from optimism. Optimism is about choosing to see in any situation how circumstances could work out for the best. But biblical hope is not focused on circumstances. In fact, hopeful people in the Bible often recognize there's no evidence things will get better, but you choose hope anyway. Like the prophet Hosea, he lived in a dark time when Israel was being oppressed by foreign empires, and he chose hope when he said God could turn this valley of trouble into a door of hope, like the day when Israel came up from the land of Egypt. God had surprised his people with redemption back in the days of the Exodus, and he could do so again. So it's God's past faithfulness that motivates hope for the future. You look forward by looking backward, trusting in nothing other than God's character. It's like the poet of Psalm 39 who says, And now, O Lord, what else can I kavah for? You are my yachal. In the New Testament, the earliest followers of Jesus cultivated the similar habit of hope. They believe that Jesus' life, death, and resurrection was God's surprising response to our slavery to evil and death. The empty tomb opened up a new door of hope, and they use the Greek word elpis to describe this anticipation. The apostle Peter said that Jesus' resurrection opened up a living hope that people can be reborn to become new and different kinds of humans So Christian hope is bold, waiting for humanity and the whole universe to be rescued from evil and death. And some would say it's crazy. And maybe it is. But biblical hope isn't optimism based on the odds. It's a choice to wait for God to bring about a future that's as surprising as a crucified man rising from the dead. Christian hope looks back to the risen Jesus in order to look forward. And so we wait. That's what the biblical words for hope are all about.
0: There's a lot in that video. Um, you can find that on YouTube. Just search The Bible Project, and they've got the different words for um, the Advent um, candles that we'll be looking at this, this season. And we hope in God. Let's pray as we approach God. Dear God, as we begin our Advent pilgrimage this adventure with you. Grant us the courage to hope. Hope for your presence. Hope for your peace. Hope for your promise. Lord, we thank you for Marjorie. We thank you for her hopes for us. And we pray your blessing on her today. And we pray together the prayer that Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom the power, and the glory forever. Amen. This morning's reading is taken from the New Testament book of
2: Luke, <laughs> chapter 1, verses 5 to 25. This is the New International Version, and the passage with the birth of John the Baptist. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah, His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. Once when Zechariah's division was in duty, and he was serving as a priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshippers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are able to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord of their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I am an old man, and my wife is well on in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile... The people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he couldn't speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. Thanks be to God.
0: Thank you, Stuart. Do folks know the the manger scene? Uh, I, when I was a little boy, I spent a few years in in France with my family and in in France they call it a crèche i think that actually refers to the manger but uh, they often refer to the whole thing as the crèche and what you do is you get the animals there's a sheep and a camel Donkey, I think that's a donkey. Yeah. It's either a donkey or a big dog. <laughs> yeah. An ox or a cow there. And obviously, well, you've got the animals. You've got to have the people too. And the most obvious characters are Mary and Joseph. They were there from the beginning, weren't they? And then we've got some wise men here bringing their gifts actually they don't really show up till later but uh, when you see a nativity scene they're always there as well you might have an angel you might have a star as well but uh, there's something missing (laughs) the christ child is missing the star of the show is missing And often, according to family traditions, you won't put the child into the the nativity scene until Christmas morning. And parents will ask their children, what's missing? What's missing here? And the reply, obviously, is the Christ child. The Christ child doesn't come until Christmas morning. And we will leave the Christ child out of our manger scene and I'll set it up in the back of the church and on Christmas morning he will appear obviously this year Christmas is going to be quite different to any Christmas that we have ever experienced there are going to be things missing from our Christmas I heard that there's going to be no Santa at the school Christmas party. There aren't going to be any parties in the office. No Guild Christmas meal this year. No getting together with friends that we usually meet up with over this season. And of course, there isn't going to be the physical outings for shopping If shopping happens, it will happen online. Thank goodness for shopping online. We've already missed out on the late night shopping on the bigger high street. And we aren't going to get to the Christmas market in Princess Street Gardens that uh, some of us go to normally at this time of year. Because of COVID, we will have to choose who we are going to spend Christmas with. There won't be the usual doing the rounds, Christmas Day here and Boxing Day there. And for some of us, this year, our Christmas will have people missing from it because they have passed away. And this season will invariably bring their absence home to us all the more. There are many things missing from our world this Christmas. There were important things missing from the world on the advent of that first Christmas. But might we hope that what happened with the Christ event on that first Christmas morning will also be the beginning of what God will do to restore what is missing in our world as it was then. Luke says that what took place just before that first Christmas took place, his own words, in Judea in the time of Herod. The nation of Israel was bereft. Vital, life-giving things were missing from their national and religious life. Freedom was missing from the nation. Israel was occupied by the Romans, and the king on the throne, Herod, was a mere puppet for Caesar. By all accounts, Herod the Great was a cruel and self-obsessed man. He was out only to consolidate his own power and prestige, and he would do away with anyone who got into his way, even his wife. As far as religion is concerned, true enough, the Jews had a temple in which to worship. The temple was a magnificent building. But unlike the former temple before the exile— God had never confirmed his presence in this new temple. You now, folks have remembered the stories from the Old Testament of how when Solomon's temple was completed, God had shown his approval and come and miraculous signs of fire and smoke. But no such thing had happened with this temple This new temple had many of the trappings of the old temple. There were priests and there were altars for burning sacrifices and incense. But the holy ark that had symbolized God's presence was missing from this new temple. It had long ago been stolen away by plundering invaders along with many of the other holy things in the temple. Not only was the temple bereft of God's presence, but God had long been silent. God had not spoken to his people through a prophet since the prophet Malachi 400 years before. God had been silent. In the time of Herod, king of Judea. In eight words, Luke tells us of a nation with a great deal missing that first Christmas. And then Luke introduces us to a family who were also missing something important that first Christmas. Zechariah and Elizabeth, although they were good and faithful folk, were probably deemed by many in their day as people cursed by God. You see, Zechariah and Elizabeth couldn't have a baby. And for folks back then, that was a great failing. Now you and I know that not being able to have children just happens to some folk. It doesn't mean that they are cursed. And it doesn't mean that they don't love each other. But sadly, sadly, sometimes it just happens. Zechariah had long given up hoping for a son. But there was still a deep sadness in his heart. Zechariah would have mostly been sad for Elizabeth because although the physical problem of infertility could have been with either of them, in those days and in that society, it was assumed that the woman was at fault. For both Zechariah and Elizabeth, there was a feeling that something vital was missing from their lives that first Christmas. Christmas. And then one day, Zechariah gets called up, not called up for military service, but called up to do duty in the temple. There were loads of priests in Zechariah's time, and Zechariah was one of them, born as he was to the family of Aaron in the tribe of Levi. There were so many priests in Zechariah's time that not everyone got a chance to serve in the temple. So it was a great honor for Zechariah to be chosen. On the day of his service, he was dressed in all the right gear. Elizabeth had seen to that. And all the people were gathered outside the holy place as Zechariah entered in. Zechariah was so proud, and Elizabeth was, too. It was then that it happened. Zechariah met an angel, a representative of God, a messenger from God. God had been silent 400 years, and now he has chosen to speak. The angel was standing near the altar where Zechariah was was due to light the incense. This angel must have been some sight because Zechariah was terrified, it says. He had never seen an angel. Nobody he knew had ever seen one. The angel's appearance was upsetting, but even more upsetting was the message that the angel brought congratulations you're going to be a dad and not only that the son elizabeth is going to give birth to he's going to be someone special someone god is going to use to usher in what the whole nation indeed the whole world has been missing out of for so so long Well, Zechariah couldn't believe what the angel was saying. This was beyond unbelievable. And he says to the angel, are you sure? I'm an old man and Elizabeth is old too. And I could imagine Zechariah further saying, this can't be. I've got my retirement all planned out and we book that cruise for next year. We can't take a baby on that. And anyway, I'd be no good at looking after babies. I'm an old man. And hold on, Zechariah. Did you hear what the angel said? This isn't just about you, Zechariah this is about the nation it's about the world this is good news for everyone but Zechariah it's also good news for you well because Zechariah couldn't believe this amazing good news he's made so that he can't speak until the baby is born and maybe that was God giving Zechariah some time out. Time out to get his head around this thing that God was doing for him and doing for the world. Meanwhile, when Elizabeth finds out the news, she is blown away. And she, unlike Zechariah, believes. Of course, their son will be John the Baptist. And he will be the one who announces Jesus' is coming. He will be the one to prepare others for the coming of God's promised Messiah, just what the whole world had been missing. God has an uncanny way of weaving things together for us, He has an uncanny way of weaving, meeting the needs of one family with an even bigger solution to an even bigger problem, all in God's time and in his sometimes inscrutable ways, of course. So what are you missing this Christmas, I wonder? Do you, like Zechariah and Elizabeth, have one big need that has eclipsed just about everything else in your life. Perhaps it's a health problem. Perhaps it's problems with finances. Perhaps it's problems with people. Perhaps it's something else. Maybe it isn't your need, but the need of another. Someone you love. And because you love them, their need has become your need too. Maybe you've got several needs like that. I wonder, I wonder what you're missing this Christmas. I wonder, too, if sometimes you might be a bit like Zechariah, giving up hope that anything can ever be done to fill that big hole in your life that this need has created. If the Christmas story tells us anything, it tells us this. God has not forgotten about you and he knows your need. And even more importantly, he has not forgotten about a world in need of which your need is a part. As in this story, God can be relied upon to weave things together that your needs and the needs of the world might be fulfilled even if his timing is not your timing, even if God's ways are not your ways, the good God, the good God is on the move to put things right as only he is able. The biggest need in the world it might not be obvious, is for love. And God, who is love, promises to fill that need. That indeed is what Christmas is all about, love coming down into a world of need. Throughout Advent, we're going to explore this theme of love coming down In our exploration, we will use Paul's famous passage of 1 Corinthians 13, known often as the love chapter. I've been... I purchased this book for my Advent reading. It's uh, by Sinclair Ferguson, Love Came Down at Christmas. There's a reading each day that uh, um, centers on this theme that we find in 1 Corinthians 13, it's, it's available at all good bookshops. Just a book plug there. Let's take a moment to present our needs before God. Let's pray. the big, seemingly intractable problems before you now. Problems we, like Zechariah and Elizabeth, have perhaps learned to live with. And thinking about them now just makes us feel how hopeless is our situation. But Lord, we believe We believe that you are the God of hopeless situations. When the world was at its darkest, you stepped in. When we in the past came to the the end of ourselves, there you were. We found a new beginning with you. You've done it before, God. Please do it again now. Help us, Lord, to trust you with these big things that weigh heavy on our hearts once again. To trust that in your perfect plan and in your perfect timing, all will be well. And we will, in the end, be surprised by joy. For we pray in the name of our hope, even Jesus Christ, amen.